This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where customers who save by switching their home and car save nearly $800 on average. Quote at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Nightlight has partnered with Fan Roll Dice by Metallic Dice Games to offer an exclusive discount on one of their gorgeous dice sets that we've fallen in love with because of their satisfying weight and, let's just be honest, sparklies not to mention their impeccably constructed dice accessories. In one word, velvet. Visit fanrolldice.com, that's F-A-N-R-O-L-L-D-I-C-E dot com, and use our discount code NIGHTLIGHT for 10% off any new additions to your dice hoard. A portion of your purchase will come back to us and help support our shows. So go to fanrolldice.com with the discount code NIGHTLIGHT to get 10% off of any additions to your dice hoard. Hi, I'm Tanya Ransom, creator and executive producer of Nightlight, a horror podcast featuring creepy tales written and performed by Black creatives from all over the world. This week, the boogeyman is coming to get you. And your grandma. But before we succumb to childhood fears, I want to take a moment to say thanks to our newest patrons, Haley and Nishaya. If you'd like to help us pay a living wage to everyone who works to bring these stories to you and enjoy ad-free episodes, just go to nightlightpod.com legion to join the Nightlight Legion and get a shout-out on the podcast, plus occasional bonus content. You can also make a one-time donation to support us at nightlightpod.com donate. And don't forget, Nightlight merch is available, and you can support us by sporting Nightlight-branded gear. Just go to merch.nightlightpod.com to get your t-shirts, hoodies, notebooks, and more. Now sit back. Turn out the lights and enjoy Uncle Boogeyman, written by Maurice Broaddus and narrated by Jarvis Bailey. Sometimes, Rahid Wickerman still dreamt of visiting his dementia-laden grandmother as a young boy in the nursing home. She sat in bed, gaily playing with an old rag doll, the only thing that kept her calm. Misremembering names, oblivious to the fact that she rested in her own shit, Sometimes, he dreamt that he cried. Sometimes he dreamt of the closet darkness, where he hid rather than pay grandma a visit. But he never forgot the smell of sweat and urine, of caked shit, of fear. Sherry! A young woman skidded into the hallway before catching herself at the doorframe. Sherry, get in here, hurry! A large woman lumbered past Rahid followed by a young man. Rahid followed a few steps behind, in time to see the man turn the corner into the room and slide. Too late. Rahid reached for the doorknob to steady himself, but his hand slipped from the greased handle. Sprawled on his back, he stared down to see what they had slid in. Dark, viscous blood. The same blood that painted his pants and back. Trailed to a bathroom where the young woman propped up a naked old one. Small, sagging breasts, with nipples like hard raisins, beat against her protruding belly. She stood on the toilet seat, her spindly legs barely supporting her weight. Blood poured down her leg in thick gushes, as if her menstrual flow decided to make up for years of postmenopausal inaction. 
fleshy remnants hung from her pubis. It appeared that she strained to give birth to her own intestines. The stench of blood filled the room. Sherry wobbled in. Prolapse uterus. She sized up from the situation. Everybody out. The three dumbfounded nurses' aides backed out of the room and jumped at the thud of the closing bathroom door. Slowly they became aware of each other. Perpetual eyes studied Rahid before igniting with the flicker of recognition. A fade-styled haircut with thin sideburns leaning into an even thinner goatee framed the triangle-shaped head. The young woman cut her eyes at the two of them, made a sucking sound with her teeth, then turned in apparent disgust. Long minutes later, Sherry emerged from the room, closing the door discreetly behind her. Hi, my name's Sherry Wilkins. You must be our new CNA. Yes, Rahid Wickerman. She led him to an office behind the nurse's station. The other CNAs retired to the large screen television in a cul-de-sac on the opposite side of it. Sherry scooted behind her desk and flipped through his file without glancing up at him. Not a conventionally pretty woman, but her long, dark braids accentuated the attractiveness of her round face. We here at the regional healthcare facility pride ourselves in how we treat our residents, she said beginning what Rahid assumed was a long orientation speech. Most of the people here can no longer take care of themselves, either mentally or physically. Something is wrong enough that their families have decided to put them here. Rahid shifted uncomfortably weighing whether his minimum wage salary was worth suffering this speech. He understood why his classmates mocked him doing his probation at the Reach. These are people. People who have taken care of themselves all of their lives and now suddenly find themselves completely dependent on others. They are upset and depressed and may often fight. Regardless of how they act, they are adults and they need to be treated that way. She stood up, locking eyes with him. Do we understand each other so far? Perfectly. Rahid smiled with the trite politeness he used for charm. I heard about some of the problems you've been having. She reared suddenly, a poised cobra eyeing him. Are you with the state? No, I, no, he scrambled. The other aides in training, th th there was talk. Though less than satisfied, Sherry released a tepid smile. You have three nights of orientation. Sherry scuttled from her office toward the cul-de-sac with Rahid trailing. That means you are to be paired with someone, mostly to observe. Tonight, you're with Anthony. She motioned and both of the aides snapped to attention. Rahid Wickerman, Anthony McCoots. You'll be together for a while. Play nice. Sherry curled her finger in a come with me at the female aide. Yvette, what the fuck happened? She yelled before the door closed. Long time no see, Tauntaun, Rahid whispered. What's up, Mr. B? You still a scrawny motherfucker? Anthony brandished his contagious smile, the one that usually preceded him talking Rahid into some sort of trouble. High school, when Anthony held court, seemed so long ago. Football star, wrestling champ, smooth, easy rap with the ladies. He had a way of making any outrageous claims seem perfectly reasonable. So much so that he could give you a demeaning nickname like Mr. Bones 
and make it seem like a badge of acceptance. There are only a few things you really need to know to get along fine, Anthony continued in hushed tones. First is, we kind of laid back up here. Ain't no nurse always breathing down your back about all the little kinds of bullshit. Second, we only do two rounds of bed checks, watch cable, then get the residents up. Other than that, we just answer the call lights and fill out the ADLs. The activity of daily living on third shift consisted of how often the residents pissed themselves or were turned during the night so they didn't get any bed sores. Now let me show you where everyone is. The pair entered a cramped, dismal room lit to a shade of pus yellow. Rahid stopped short, reflexively breathing through his mouth once he saw the diarrhea saturated in continence pads. Over there is Miss Hardy. She's usually dry, Anthony said. Got your uterus back in place, baby? The figure remained still as a crime scene photo. You know, you gotta get used to wiping ass. That's all there is to it, Anthony said. Yeah, I know. Rahid found it difficult to talk and swallow back bile at the same time. He fumbled for a pair of latex gloves while Anthony surveyed the damage with a cool eye before putting on his. Why didn't Sherry take her over to the hospital? Rahid whispered. Probably will in the morning. Let first shift deal with the paperwork. This here's Miss Sumner. She's never dry. A slip of a woman trembled. Her long gray hair blended with streaks of jet black flowed over her covers. She chanced to peek at him through clenched eyes. Anthony turned on the overhead light and pulled back the sheets. Still curled in a fetal position, she desperately grabbed after them. Anthony rolled her towards him to get at the pad. Rahid held her on her side while craning his head away as much as possible. She moaned when Anthony scraped her tissue paper thin skin with a wet towel. Rolling a fresh pad beneath her, he pulled her sheets up with a parental tuck and placed a call button by her side. Just set the pad on the barrel outside the door, Anthony said. After our rounds, I'll show you where you can rinse it out. If they have shit all in them, laundry sends them back. Rahid didn't hear anything after, you can rinse it out. He moved to Miss Hardy's bed to quickly check her anyway. Dry, like the man said. I tried to be good, she whispered, staring through him with haunted, bloodshot eyes. Come on, man. Anthony peeked his head back in the room. We got one more to check on, then we can go get a Coke or something. They went to the room near the end of the hall. A lone elderly woman sat naked in her wheelchair, hunched over, hiding in the shadows. Touches of vitiligo marbled one leg, and a bandage wrapped the other. Her red lips and an equally red tongue were made more so against the blackness of her skin. Her heavily veined eyes remained lucid, and despite her twisted, age-misshapen body, she carried herself with an air of gentility. Miss Appling, Anthony said, it's time for you to go to bed. It's late. I don't want to go to bed right now. I'll let you know when I'm ready. Her raspy voice sang with authority, a person accustomed to being listened to. Come on, Miss Appling. The boogeyman will get you if you don't watch out. I'm ready for him, she said, slowly swaying back and forth in some unfelt breeze, absently flipping through the pages of her Bible. Fuck it, Anthony whispered to Rahid. When she gets in her moods, there's no arguing with her. 
Was that all the residents? Rahid asked as they walked toward the cul-de-sac. I thought I'd be handling more people. They're it for you. We don't want to overload you with residents, and this way we can keep an eye on you. See how you work out. Anthony's voice rumbled with a roar of a subdued, icy wind. He had a way of making everything seem like an intimated threat. He strode the halls with a knowing measure of intimidation. Rahid tried to emulate his swagger but stopped, cursing himself for falling back into high school patterns. Hanging around Anthony was like hanging around a raging pit bull. It was exciting, not to be confused with fun. But that was partly because you never quite knew if he would turn on you. Up here, we have a way of doing things. You have to be flexible, accepting, or else you make things that much more difficult on yourself. Rahid returned to Miss Sumner's room. Miss Hardy had already been dressed and wheeled to in front of the television, so he wondered why the light was off. Even at sunrise, little light shone through the thick curtains sealing their room. Once Rahid flicked on the light, the room still drowned in shadows. Miss Sumner lay perfectly still, as if in state. Rahid hovered over her for a moment before pulling her covers down. She murmured through barely audible sobs. He caught a wisp of movement out the corner of his eye. A shadow. The closet door creaked open. Miss Sumner tensed. A patch of urine spread through her sheets, the gamey smell filling the room immediately. Her eyes scrunched shut. The dark. Things hide in the night. What things? Don't say his name. Don't say his name. Don't say his name. Okay, okay. I don't like my name much either, he said with self-assumed wit, blaming himself for trying to engage her in rational conversation. He mulled over her wardrobe, settling on a pink flowery thing because he could drape it over her and snap the buttons from behind. Her age-laden breasts, reminiscent of peaches and sandwich bags, fell flat against her chest when he removed her sweat and urine-soaked gown. He paused to revel in his utter revulsion. Red and purple bruises blotched her neck. A meaty club of a hand clapped his shoulder, holding it firmly in grip. Embarrassed like a boy caught peeping at his sister while she showered, Rahid rushed to cover her. Damn, I thought she felt kind of hard last night. We forgot to put her guardrails up. She's prone to falling, Anthony said. Do you come in tomorrow? I don't know if I'm up for this. Something about this place, Rahid turned toward the door. Maybe. Her chair creaked against the floorboards. The rumpled figure rocked back and forth under the baleful glare of the moonlight through the window. The musty air, like a moldy sponge, held a thousand dank memories. Her hands fumbled over something in her lap. Rahid stepped nearer, though not too near, not wanting to interrupt. It wasn't because she scared him. The sight of her simply hurt to see. Her skin glistened in ashy gray her head a covered mass of stringy, unwashed hair. She was nothing like the grandmother he remembered. Skeletal hands caressed a doll. She withdrew one of her breasts and cradled the doll against it. 
leaning forward, her weight overbalanced in the chair, tempting gravity. She mouthed words, her eyes alit with warning. The wrinkles of her face creased with overwhelming sadness and fear. It's so dark in here, she said. Grandma? He asked, not daring to approach. I'm scared of the dark. She tumbled out of the chair, waving off any attempts to help her up. Getting up into a squatting position, she pissed scarlet streams. The pool looked black as it neared him. Grandma? He repeated. You won't let him get me, will you? She said through tremulous lips. I'll be good. Rahita woke to Yvette's looming face. Watery brown eyes, like she was on the verge of crying, studied him with a lascivious glare. Unlike the other CNAs on staff, she delighted in doing as little as possible. Bad dreams? Yvette struck a coquettish pose next to him. Yeah, you could say that. He pushed himself up in his seat, his joints thick with stiffness. Probably from working here. They'll do that to you. They seem more scared of us, Rahid measured his words, baiting her. Just old people being old. Then Anthony tries to scare them with his boogeyman talk. They the ones started that mess. Ain't no better than kids on a school playground around here spreading them stories. Rahid, feeling uncomfortable under the heat of her gaze, glanced around the room, pretending to let his eyes adjust to the lighting. The smell of the place permeated his clothes. If sheer age had an odor, it would smell like the oddly sweet mixture of decay, drenched with sweat and urine of the rage. I know, Yvette continued. It's sad, ain't it? But it feels good having another man up in here instead of just Tauntaun and his trifling self. I didn't think anyone else still called him that. We used to go out. Still do, if in itch got to get scratched. He told me all about you, Mr. B. The way she said you sounded like she was reading from a menu. Yeah, that's a name that could have stayed forgotten. Nice necklace. Yvette fondled the cross that dangled from around Rahid's necklace. Uh, thanks. Rahid swallowed hard, feeling his heartbeat in his throat. Her hand still gently held the cross, brushing knowingly against his chest. I guess you off limits then. Too bad. She let go of his cross but passed him an offers good any time sort of smile. In high school, he'd been messed with by girls like Yvette, the kind who teased for the sake of teasing, amused by the discomfort of toying with a boy obviously out of his depth. He hoped she didn't notice what effect she was having on his pants. Rahid, could you come help me with Miss Ferguson? Sherry bellowed from down the hallway. She's feeling particularly uncooperative. Grab her around her legs. I just need to get her on the bed, Sherry said. She's got onset symptoms of Parkinson's disease, though she doesn't let that slow her down. Unless she's mad. In this case, mad translated as pouting, with the temper tantrum in question being 300 pounds of seated, unmoving flesh. Sherry worked with an alarming intensity with even pulling the sheets up, was performed with an angry flare. Sherry seemed to have nursed her own pain so long that it infected her every movement. When she had finished tucking her in, 
Sherry tied a knot in the sheet corner by Miss Ferguson's head. Bending close to Miss Ferguson, she stage whispered, The boogeyman will get you. What's that you're doing? Rahid asked. Marking her. What, they don't teach you this in them classes of yours? She half grinned, nodding the other corner. You see, you tie a knot in each corner of the sheet. She grunted, tugging on the corner against Miss Ferguson's unyielding mass. And then your patient isn't supposed to die on your shift. A lot of the older nurses do this, but it was Anthony that showed me. Sherry studied at her handiwork, an unsatisfied painter approving her canvas. She can be pestful when she wants to be, up and down the hallway bugging us. Not tonight. Rahid watched as she took a tube of petroleum jelly from her pocket and smeared a thick coat of it onto the door handle. Have you ever seen someone with Parkinson's try and turn a greased handle? Another trick Anthony taught you? Sherry winked. Rahid made a mental note to come back with a paper towel for the door handle as he closed the door behind them. Have you ever wondered why the residents are always so scared? They're scared because they old. They miss their kids and they want attention. It doesn't help that we feed their fears with the boogeyman stuff. It borders on abuse. Are you serious? Sherry arched an eyebrow at him. She settled in behind the nurse's station, cut a glance at Anthony, then rolled her eyes at Rahid. You're complaining about us talking about the boogeyman? That's kitty shit, not abuse. The boogeyman is whatever you're afraid of, and that fear takes form, Rahid said. And we feed into it to the point where the residents fear us as embodiments of, well, fear. That's abusive. Just because you're slumming down here between classes doesn't mean that you have to sound out the big words for us. Let me say this the way only us simple folk can manage. Get the fuck out of my face. Go check on Miss Appling. Sherry groused to Rahid's turn back, commenting and cussing just loud enough for him to hear. Miss Appling, it's time for you to go to bed. How are you feeling tonight? Rahid pulled her blanket closer around her. His knuckles ached. He flexed his hand a few times before popping his joints to loosen them. Miss Appling stared at him from the gloom of her covers. Old. I feel old. You ain't like the other ones. She reached up to touch his cross. This why? Is not wisdom found among the aged? Does not long life bring understanding? Rahid bent down, waiting for her, I'm going to bake you some cookies, look that he enjoyed basking in. Miss Appling stared at him with the quizzical blankness of not recognizing what sat next to her. Is that what the good book says? I'll tell you what the aged have. Fear. Fear of waking up in the morning and facing another day. Fear of not waking up. Fear of being alone. Silence sat between them, an unwanted guest. Rahid didn't want to leave on such a sour note. Glancing around the room, its spartan decor struck him. No fanfare, no applause. Little to mark that she lived there, only sanitized squalor. As if with the thought of imminent death, she didn't want to be reminded that she had lived. 
An old picture with some children stood at the center of her dresser. Next to it was a picture of a young woman. This you? Were you a teacher or something? Yes, that was my last class. That other picture's my daughter. You must have been a great mother. His mother had chided him for his sensitive spirit. Too sensitive to work among the dying. If I'd done a better job raising my child, she'd be taking care of me now. She stared longingly at the picture. The wan lighting obscured most of her face in hoary shadows. That's not fair. Sometimes you can't help what you are or where you end up. My family didn't want to be burdened anymore, and I ease their minds by not reminding them that I'm still alive. I don't know why. My grandmother was full of stories I loved hearing, he said. She sat up in bed with renewed vigor. Let me tell you a story that my grandmother used to tell me. Let's see, how did that go? Yes, there is a man by the name of High Walker. Well, sometimes he is called High Walker. Sometimes he goes by other names. One day, High Walker goes to the cemetery, home of the bones, and cries out, Rise up! Rise up, you bloody bones, and dance! The bones cry back from the earth. Leave us alone. Keep walking. High Walker starts to leave, but he can't help himself. He looks back and says, High Walker and bloody bones. And the bones, they dance. So High Walker knows that he has some power about him. There is another man who wants to sell his soul to the devil so that he can live forever. He goes to the woods and prays. Go away from me, Lord. I want nothing to do with you. Devil, come do what you want so that I can live forever. So he dries up for dead. Most of his meat rotted from his body, leaving not a hair on his head. And he began to sweat blood. He lives, but the devil, thinking he has tricked him, tells him, Raw head, you are my boogeyman. One day, High Walker is on his way to a town moving from the shadows. The boogeyman will get you if you don't watch out. What do you want? High Walker asked. Join me and you'll live forever. How do I join you? Bring me a child by this time tomorrow night. Old Rawhead then goes to the town he moves much faster than anyone, since he can walk from shadow to shadow. He goes to the first house that he finds. Inside, the father is asleep. The closet door creaks open and wakes the man. Rawhead keeps to the shadows and cries out, The boogeyman will get you if you don't watch out. 
What can we do? Watch your children. The boogeyman comes after disobedient children at night. So that night, High Walker gets to the town. When High Walker came to the house, the father catches him, takes him to the center of town, and the people kill him. As he lies there, all the meat leaves his bones. Then Rawhead said, Rise up! Rise up, you bloody bones, and dance! And High Walker's bones get up and dance into the shadows. From then on, whenever a child acts up, their parents warn them that they'd better be good, because the boogeyman'll get you if you don't watch out. And people worry about kids being scarred by TV, Rahid said. Sometimes scaring them is the only way to get them to listen. You may not believe in monsters, but one day maybe you will. Keep that near. Miss Sapling pointed to his cross. Monsters can't abide anything like that. Rahid cradled it for a moment, then unhooked his necklace and hung it on the pictures of her daughter. I tell you what then, why don't you keep it? To remind you that you're not alone. Miss Appling, backlit by the hall lights, Sherry was a massive Ebon outline in the doorway. Even knowing that it was her, she loomed as a featureless shade of terror. Approaching with a senescent shuffle, her face gradually took form, glowering at him out of the corner of her eye. Sweetie, it's time for you to go to bed. Now who's this? Miss Appling did not deign to turn her head, her eyes fixing on Rahid. Something akin to fear registered on her face, but he pretended not to notice. It's me, Sherry. If you don't go to bed, we'll get in trouble. We need to go on to other patients. Well, at least it's not that other girl. Always coming in here all a-wigglin' and a-twistin'. Come on, Miss Appling, quit stallin' and go to bed. Sherry stepped toward the bed, staring directly at Rahid. You know, the boogeyman will get you if you don't watch out. Nurse! Nurse! Miss Sumner screamed from the middle hall, with her singularly annoying way of making sure nurse sound as if it had two syllables. Rahid stood to answer the call when Yvette put her hand on his wrist. Don't worry about her, she just likes attention, she said. Well, I don't know that. You can never tell when it might be something serious. He tried not to sound too snide. He stared at her hand as if a serpent had locked its fangs into him, until she let go. Slats of the parking lot light radiated through the blinds to stripe Miss Sumner's face. The obscure illumination had an unsettling effect, like viewing half-caught images in the flicker of a strobe bulb. She desperately clutched her blanket to her chest, hiding behind it like a dreadfully wrinkled child, woken by a thunderstorm. Rahid flipped the light switch on. The fluorescent overheads buzzed, then burned out. She sat there, transfixed by the shadows, her manic eyes locked upon her closet. The wisps of gray-tinged hair on her chin created a curious sadness about her. Is there something I can do for you? He asked. 
I'm sorry. I won't do it again, she muttered. Don't make him come back. She kept staring at the closet. Due to be turned anyway, he stood next to her and removed the pillows from underneath her. Once she was in a new position, Rahid returned the pillows behind her. Her drainage bag, a bloated, overripe pustule full of urine, hung on the bed frame. Her tiny arm weakly waved Rahid towards her, her scab-crusted hand grabbing him. There's something acting like a devil in here, she whispered for fear of being hurt by her unseen assailant. Where? In there? Rahid asked, pointing to the closet. The door must not have been latched all the way, because the door slowly swung ajar with a creak. Her long fingernails dug into his flesh. No, she whispered, pointing weakly toward her bed. Under there. Her fear was contagious. Rahid pressed his hand against the part of his chest where his cross normally rested, as if scratching the itch of a phantom limb. A vague terror rose in him. A nameless shape in the inky pools of night stalked these hallways. That much he knew in his soul. Maybe not a red-eyed, glowing-in-the-dark, razor-teethed creature under the bed, or possessing old, scabrous hands that clawed through earth. But something wanted him, too. The bedsheets jostled against his legs, or had something scurried past him. Peering down at Miss Sumner, he searched for any reason to not check if something had slipped under her bed, to see if anything else might allay her fears. Her grip tightened. Deep inhalations echoed in his ears from all around him, as if the room itself were breathing. Anxiousness swept over him. He reassured himself that her fears weren't his fears. He dropped to his knees, posed for prayer, and raised the corner of the sheets. He lowered his head under the bed. Nothing. He slapped the linoleum, feeling her jump at the noise. He didn't know why he was suddenly so angry, but he stood up and snapped her bed rail into place. Not quite petroleum jelly on the doorknob, but she wouldn't be leaving her bed any time tonight. She fell back against her pillow, the light shafts pinstriping her face. Don't leave me, she begged. The boogeyman's going to kill me. Her eyes stared past him, though he grew fascinated by the image in her bed rail. A carnival mirror's vision of his face distorted, too wide, with a large mouth and long teeth reflected back at him. It was joined by Yvette's. No, he's not, she said. He's here to help you. You don't recognize him because he's still new. Miss Sumner sighed. Once Rahid pulled her curtains shut, the room grew loathsomely dark, so he turned on a bedside reading lamp for her as a nightlight. I must be just as crazy as they is, talking to them like they make sense, Yvette said. Rahid motioned toward Miss Sumner, worried that they were still within earshot. Don't worry, she don't understand what I'm talking about. They get to you after a while, Rahid said, walking back to the cul-de-sac. This is going to sound bad, but you care too much. You want to help to rescue every damsel in distress from the bad things waiting for them. She ran her fingers along his chest. His heart quickened with unbidden longing. Hers was a gentle touch, electric in its way, warm. 
inviting. So you keep coming back despite your better judgment, ignoring that voice of self-preservation that says, get the fuck out of there. So you're saying I should go? He wanted to move but couldn't. Not if it meant that she'd quit touching him. I'm saying that you can't. You're needed here. Wanted. Then I don't understand. Her hand lowered, caressing the inside of his thigh. He thought that his heat would consume him on the spot. You're a good man in a bad place. You get all these grand notions and good intentions. But all the while, there's one thing you never stop to ask yourself. What's that? What makes you think we want to be saved? Anthony touched Rahid's shoulder. So you about ready to truly join us? What do you mean? Some rookie CNA initiation? <laughs> Rahid's laugh died in his throat. Don't worry about it. Hey, could you do me a solid and stock the cards before you get too comfortable? Anthony said with a knowing sneer. Yvette, lounging in front of the television, passed a conspirator's glance before turning away. Rahid gathered the carts at the supply closets, loading them with a nightly stock of bed linens, towels, gowns, and incontinence pads. Wheeling the carts to the intersection of hallways by the nurse's stations, he left one each for Anthony and Yvette. Slowly, he pushed his cart down his hallway. I believe in monsters, Rahid whispered to himself. The overhead lights flickered on and off, creating a checkerboard of burned-out lights and pockets of shadows. He had the unmistakable feeling that the shadows glared back at him. Inside, he felt himself going bad, like an apple going soft. The corridor seemed to stretch on forever. Rahid stopped and turned around. Anthony and Yvette seemed to be seated at the end of a long, dark tunnel. Bodiless footsteps echoed behind him. I believe in monsters. I believe in things that go bump in the night. He continued as if reciting a bedtime prayer. He knew where the boogeyman lurked. Not under beds or in closets or always in the dark, but in their hearts, where it waited to drag him down. Rahid pushed his cart toward the room at the end of the hall. Fear fueled the jackrabbit thump of his heartbeat. His mouth felt rinsed with hot sand. The boogeyman will get you if you don't watch out. Kitty shit. The madness of the place was infectious. The place corrupted. Something called to him from the dark places. The shadows. The room. Whose room was this? Yawned open. A swirl of murky depths. Everyone didn't grow old, he thought. They died by neglect, rotting from the inside, till all they could do was smell death every time they exhaled. He wanted to live forever, and the closet door opened. Thanks again to our patrons for supporting this podcast. Because of your support, listeners around the world get creepy tales in their ears every other week. If you want new stories every week, the only way for that to happen is to join the Nightlight Legion by going to nightlightpod.com legion. You can also make a one-time donation via PayPal at nightlightpod.com donate. 
If you're unable to support us financially, word of mouth is the next best way to help. Give us a shout out online on Twitter, TikTok, or Instagram at NightlightPod, or like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash ransompodcasts. Reviews are also a huge help, so be sure to leave a few kind words on your podcast platform of choice. Audio production for this episode by Davis Walden. Join us next time, and be sure to leave your nightlight on. You never know what shadows might be lurking in the dark. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish.